Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Well, good morning, church. Uh, I've got a special guest here. My mom and dad are here from North Carolina. Love them. Thank you guys for coming in. Yeah, thank you guys. Um, And as you guys are, uh, there are a lot of new faces today. Really glad that you guys are here. Uh, As Emily shared, uh, we journey book by book through the Bible, and we're in sort of a micro-series within the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. This micro-series is really focusing on God's relationship with Abraham and Sarah. It's a married couple. They're uh, a lot older in their years. Uh, In this story, Abraham's 100, Sarah's around 90, and they have a baby, a baby that they've been waiting on for decades. In fact, a baby that God had promised would come 25 years prior. And so today is sort of a culmination passage of what we have been studying for weeks together about Sarah and Abraham. Um, So as we enter in today, uh, I want to let you guys know, I love stories. And I think many of us love stories. You love movies, you love books, we love TV shows, you love the binge watch TV shows. All of us love stories. And in fact, I actually love superhero stories. I'm a big Marvel fan, not a big fan of phase four, but still love Marvel, love all the movies. And uh, every time in Marvel, there's a different movie and there's a different story and there's a different hero in every of the stories. And today we actually see another set of stories. We actually see three stories back to back to back. There's three different stories sharing three different things, but there's actually just one hero in all three of those stories. And it's not Abraham, it's not Sarah, it's not Isaac, it's not Abimelech, it's not Hagar, it's not Ishmael, it's Jesus. And what I want us to see through these stories is that there's one hero in every story and in your story. And what God is doing in your life and in the life of this passage is to bring more understanding of who he is so that we can have life and joy in him. And so what we're gonna see is the scarlet thread of Jesus in the gospel through each of these stories. If you back up and look at each three of them, you're like, bro, are we gonna cover all three of those? Like this wildly different, these three stories. But what you're gonna see is what connects them all is God is the hero of each story. And the thread that connects them is the goodness and saving grace of Jesus. Amen? So he's the hero of every story. That's sort of the sub-message title of today. Yes, we're focusing on Isaac and his birth, but Jesus is the hero of every story. And we're going to learn four things about God in his uh, heroicness in each of these stories. The first thing is something we've been talking about for multiple weeks, and this might be the last time in the series we use this so far. But point number one is that God is faithful to fulfill his what? Promises. Now, if you've been here for a while, how many times has that been one of our points? You're like, I don't know, 15, bro? I don't know. It's a lot. And in fact, we see God repeat this over and over and over because why? You and I often forget that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. So here's how it starts in verse one. And we'll just sort of go verse by verse through this passage. Number one, uh, uh, verse one. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Okay, did you catch the emphasis here, right? What are we seeing here? Three times, back to back to back, the author is emphasizing 
that God did exactly what he said he would do. Amen? We've been journeying for uh, their 25-year history, and he did exactly what he'd said. Verse 1, he said he'd visit Sarah, and he did it. He said he'd give Sarah and Abraham a boy. He did it. He said he would give her the ability to have a baby at a miraculously old age of 90. He did it. Guys, the author is making a point here to provide this three-peat record of God's faithfulness to Sarah. But then, guys, what's interesting is that that just wasn't enough for the author to make this point clear. We see him do it again. But rather than focusing on God's faithfulness to Sarah, he transitions to focus on God's faithfulness to Abraham. And just like we see God's being faithfulness to Sarah, we see her name three times. The next set is God's faithfulness to Abraham three times. Verse three, Abraham was called the name, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac, which that name means laughter, which we'll get to. Verse four, and Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old and God, as God had commanded him. Verse five, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Guys, do you see the pattern? Do you see the emphasis here? Three times we see a record of God's faithfulness to Sarah. Again, three times we see God's record of faithfulness to Abraham, which pauses, makes us pause for a moment and beg the question, why three? Why three times for both of them? What's so significant about them saying it three times? Well, here's why. From Genesis 12, which is the first place we hear about Abraham, all the way now to Genesis chapter 21, Abraham and, strugg- and Sarah struggle three significant times with trusting in God and his promises. Do you remember that? If you've been with us on this journey, you remember that one of those struggling times was when they were in Egypt and Abraham lied and gave over his wife to another man because he was afraid of his own life. And then Sarah, his wife, sinfully took a woman to be her slave, which is wrong. That's one of the instances where they struggle to trust God's faithfulness. The second one is when Sarah had this woman who is now her slave to take Abraham as a spouse and had a child with him. That's another area of sin struggle. And then again, we see once again, Abraham lied in another occasion with the king named Abimelech and he gave his wife to him again in order to protect himself. So three different times we see them struggle and that God is reminding them that even when they are unfaithful, God is faithful to us. Three times Abraham and Sarah find themselves unfaithful to God. And yet three times God remained faithful to them. That's why we see this three-time repetition to the audience. We're to see and hear today through reading this. Guys, we're to see that God is faithful even when we are faithless. God remains faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. So what is the author doing here? In verses one through five, he is using this as a monument moment to the reader, to the reader then, to the reader now. For the reader to slow down, to pause and to reflect on how faithful God has been over 25 years when Abraham and Sarah struggled to trust God's promises This moment is to pause and say, even when they were unfaithful, I'm faithful. And so what this does for you, Christian, by way of application, listen, let me ask you, where do you need to slow down? Where do you need to pause? 
reflect and rejoice in how God has been faithful to you. Where have you seen God been faithful to you over the years where you maybe have been struggled to be faithful to him? Guys, just pause and reflect for a moment. Where have you seen God be faithful to you in the past maybe 25 years? You're like, I'm like, bro, I'm 24. We'll just add some change on that, right? Where's God been faithful to you? Think about those times in high school where you were so anxious about where am I gonna go when I graduate? Am I gonna do okay on SAT? Hey, how'd that go? Things worked out for you, right? You were maybe applying for grad school and you were anxious about where you were gonna get in or a future job and how'd that work for you? God was faithful. Maybe for some of you, there was a, a, a person you were dating or there was a, a spouse and a challenge in your marriage. Maybe it was your kids and you're begging God, would you help me in this place? And he's been faithful. Maybe it was a health concern that you had. Someone in your family went through something and you cried out for God's help and he was faithful. Guys, this passage is to cause us to pause, slow down and remember that God is faithful to you and what he says in scripture, he will do. And Christian, as we've been talking for numerous weeks, when we forget the promises of God, we forego the peace of God, right? And that's often what happens when life sort of takes us over and the waves of challenges hits us. We think that God has either forgotten about us or no one cares for us, that we're left alone, no one understands what we're going through, and we forget that God is faithful and able to sympathize with every hardship that we face. And so Christian, I want you to remember that no matter what you're going through, God has not removed his hand of faithfulness. In fact, he's gonna move through your circumstances, show you how faithful he is. So if you're in the midst of a hardship, you're in the midst of a struggle, if you are hurting right now, God will prove to you that he is faithful in the midst of that to bring something good and his glory for you. Christian, this moment helps us to pause and slow down to remember that. Now guys, every week we talk about God's promises. I try to give you a new set of promises to remember. God says this in his word. You can take them to the bank and cash in on them. So here are five new ones real briefly that I want to give to you to remember that if he says this in the Bible, he's going to do it. If he says it, he's faithful to do it. Here's a few of them. One is God's everlasting life in heaven for those who trust in him. This is from John 11. Here's the promise. God said to her, this was Mary and Martha when Lazarus had passed away. Jesus said, guys, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. This is the hope of heaven, Christian, that this life and its hardships, this is not all that life is. For a Christian, this moment in time, this life may be 70 or 80 years of a ton of hardship and a ton of pain but there are millions and billions of years of eternity where there is goodness and healing, restoration, perfection, joy eternally. Guys, I want you to breathe that in. Jesus, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you're not gonna live in the death that we experience on this earth. The death of relationships, the death of our bodies, the death of our mental health. We're not left in that place. God is saying, I'm the resurrection of life. Even though your body may waste away one day, you will live in glory. Another thing is eternal security. It's a great comfort for you, Christian, is John 10, 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and that they will never perish. And it says that no one will snatch them out of my hand. Is that not a good promise? Nothing can snatch us away from God's love. No matter what you did, no matter what someone else does, 
Nothing can take you away from God's eternal love to you that will bring you to heaven one day, Christian. Nothing can. So if you feel guilt, shame of what you did yesterday, last week, last night, nothing can snatch you away from God's loving covenant hand that will bring you to glory one day. Another promise is God's earthly good will come to you even in the midst of heartache. And you're like, Aaron, sometimes that's just hard for me to believe. How can good come from this? Psalm 23, 6, the psalmist says, surely, this is confidence, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What's interesting, that same psalmist in the same passage says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even in the darkest place of your life, surely, surely in that spot, goodness and mercy will follow you there, will be with you every area you walk. Guys, these are good promises to hold on to. When the darkness of circumstance takes us over, we can remember that surely goodness and mercy will follow you in the darkest places. Christian, we have got to hold this in our heart or circumstances will overtake us. So I'm getting a little heated here. Next thing, every need being met and supplied in Christ. Every need. I love this, Philippians 4. The author says, my God will supply. It is coming. He will supply every need of yours. Guys, I love how intentional Paul is in writing this. He means every need, every need, every emotional, mental, spiritual, physical need. He will supply according to the riches of glory that's in Christ. Guys, I love that. It's not that he'll meet every need of yours when you get your life together, when you start loving your spouse, when you start being kind to your roommate, when you stop sinning. That's not when your needs get met. It's according to God's riches, not your goodness. This promise has nothing to do with you. It's everything that has to do with how God is good to you. Guys, this is the hope that you'll have. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And last, I think this is the most tender promise. Christian, if you're tired today, if you are weary, if you are hurting and frustrated and discouraged and you're wondering how can good come from anything and you're in a place of turmoil, it was hard for me to come to church today. If you're watching online, whatever the case, listen, this is eternal and earthly comfort for you from Matthew 11. I love this. Jesus' invitation to you is, listen, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You're heavy burdened. And he says, I will, I promise you, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke. Take my teaching, take my ways, take my promises upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. Lowly meaning accessible to you in heart. And when you come, you will find rest for your soul. Guys, I don't know how your soul is. Is it well today? Is it well this week? God is promising you in the, the turmoil of your stress, the turmoil of what you're going through, God promises to give you a deep comforting rest that you need more than anything. Where the anxiety, the depression, he can calm, he can bring hope. This is what he's promising to you. These five promises, you can write them down somewhere. You can maybe put them on a mirror. You can put them on your phone screen. God, hold, guys, hold on to these promises. For this is what God is saying. I am faithful to fulfill every one of those promises and the thousand more that are in scripture. And that's what verse one through five is all about. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Shifting a little bit 
into the next part of this passage, we see another really hard, guys, but honest truth. You guys ready? Number two, God denies, delays, or delivers everything in your life for your good and his glory. God will deny things to you. He will delay things to you, but he also will deliver things to you, all in which are to bring good to you and glory to him. But the question really is, Christian, is will you trust in him when he denies you of something or he delays to you something that you want so badly? Kids, spouse, security, paycheck, steadiness, marriage, whatever it is, will you trust him when he denies or delays something to you? Or will you be angry or anxious or fretful? Guys, let me show you what I mean, verse six here. And Sarah, still in this moment of celebration and monument pause, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. This is a happy thing. God has made joy for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me, she says. This is, guys, by the way, this is not like a laughing mockery. They're not gonna like laugh at her. This is laughing over her in joy, laughing in amazement at what God can do. Verse seven, so she says, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a child? Guys, this is like the origin for that Paul Rudd meme. He's like, hey, look at us. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Not me, like that's the OG of this. She's like, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a child? Yet she says, I have borne him a son in his old age. Guys, at the 90-year-old mark, Sarah has a baby. This is a miraculous thing that God has done. The baby's in diapers. She gonna be in diapers. Abraham's in diapers. Everyone's running around in diapers. This is a miracle. Who would have thought? Not me, not Paul Rudd, not Sarah, not Abraham, no one. That's the point of maybe why God let it go so long, why God delayed them having a child until she was 90, not to punish her, not because she didn't do something right, not because she wasn't established in her life yet. Maybe God delayed something she wanted so bad so that he could further display his glory to her and through her to the world. Guys, everyone who knew Sarah and Abraham are now amazed and they're celebrating and they're laughing over the incredible news that what God has done, that a 90-year-old woman is pregnant. This is a miracle. A miracle that wouldn't have been so miraculous if she got pregnant at 27 or 30 or 35. That wouldn't have pointed to God's power as clearly. So his delay was to further display his glory. So others would know his power and to know his might and to see his character in all the earth. Church, do you see what I'm getting at here? Church, are you willing to trust God like this? Are you willing to trust that if God is delaying or denying something in your life, it's probably because he's seeking to display his glory to you and others in a way that you have not yet seen, but you desperately want to see? Guys, in fact, Abraham and Sarah draw so incredibly close with God through this struggle, more so than any ease or comfort could have done for them in their life. Guys, the struggle, the hardship, the delay that they thought was actually a burden turned into a blessing. A blessing for them because it created dependency and delight in God 
but that burden also turned into a blessing to others. They could see God's miraculous hand. And others are now laughing over her saying, I cannot believe that a God did this. This is a miracle. And this all points towards the miracle of another son, another woman who was a virgin, who was not yet married, who had a son that would end up going to the cross and dying for humanity, Jesus. This story has a thread and is pointing to Jesus. The ultimate hope is not in a child. It's not in a marriage. It's not in a job. It's not in a city. It's not in a situation or experience to have. The hope we have is in Jesus. The hope we have is him. And that's ultimately what the story is getting after. So church, are you willing Are you willing to trust God in your delay? If God is denying something to you in this time, if he's saying no to something you want really bad, are you willing to trust that maybe he's doing it to display his glory and to maybe bring you further delight? It's it's hard to think about that. Guys, I don't want to belittle any of us by any means. It's with this analogy, but often with my kids, they want something. I often will deny it for their good. Or it's because I want them to have it later that can bring them more delight. And so I often might tell someone in my family, no, my little ones, in order to either protect them or provide them something good later. Guys, that's what God is doing. So if you're struggling today, wanting to be married or you're desperately wanting children, you're wanting security at your job or stability, or you're wanting sort of levity in a mental health crisis in a moment, God may be doing something in the midst of that for your good and his glory. And the question is, will you trust him in that? Guys, maybe, maybe God has designed that for deeper dependence in Christ for you, a greater delight in Jesus for you, and then to further display his glory to others. And I think that's what we're seeing from Sarah. Moving from that part of story one, we move into story two, that God takes what others meant for evil and he turns it for our good. Now, guys, I will warn you that this story is a bit challenging. There's some confusion here. There's some challenge that you're going to see happen in the story. It's a little difficult to walk through, but I want you to see overall that God is taking what others mean for evil. And sometimes he'll allow that to happen in order to bring a greater good. And that's what we're going to see God do. And maybe that's true for your story as well. Verse 8. So this child that we're learning, this promised Isaac that Sarah and Abraham have been waiting on, it grows up and he is weaned. And Abraham at that point makes a great feast. He invites all his buddies, all his land, every neighbor he knows. He brings it to this feast the day that Isaac was weaned. Now, just a side note, guys, I love the Old Testament people. They're going to find any excuse to throw a party and to have a feast like about everything at all times. And I love that. And we see it again today that Isaac gets a party, listen, because he moved from being breastfed to table fed. I'm not mocking that at all, but people go and party, they're going to find a party all the time. But what you also see culturally here for a moment is not just he goes from going milk into solid foods, but we're also learning something about culture is that in that day, it's the survival rate for infants was really, really, really low. Nutrients and medical care and healthcare was at a really not place that it is today. And so there's a celebration when life moves from one step to the next. And this is not a political statement, but you're seeing the value of life even from infancy, even from birth, even before birth. 
this promised son. God is valuing life, not one life over another, but we're seeing a celebration that God has sustained life. And that's what we're seeing in this passage. It becomes a part of culture. They're celebrating life. And church, so should we. Every person, every background, every race, every ethnicity, the celebration and the value of life. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. The mother, the child, everyone in between. And so we see a feast. We see a party in this moment. What's interesting though, is that at this party, it gets real awkward for everybody. Because at this party, Sarah gets super, super sassy, okay? Because in this moment, verse nine, she sees the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, laughing. Now here we see the word laughing again, but the ESV study notes helps us to learn that this word laughing is really mocking. So at the party, everyone's celebrating Isaac, and in the corner is Ishmael. And in this moment, he is mocking or laughing at what's going on. I don't know if he's mocking Sarah because she's 90 and she's probably struggling around to try to get her son that's running around and maybe he thinks it's funny. Whatever the case is, Sarah's not happy about this. Now, to be sure, guys, there has been some pent-up anger and bitterness and resentment between Sarah and Hagar because remember, Sarah should not have in Egypt taken her to be a slave, Hagar's had a really tough, really difficult life. That is sin. She should not have done that. And then because she wanted to have a kid, Sarah did. She's like, I can't have one. I'll get my slave to do it. And then I'll take that kid from her and it'll be mine. This is terrible. This is abusive. And so Sarah forces Hagar into this relationship with Abraham. They get married alongside of Sarah. And then Hagar is forced to have this son And so she's still bitter. She's still angry about all of this. Guys, there's a history of animosity that now carries through the children. Guys, just a side note, this is why it's so important to work through even what's going on in your life and how you grew up. This is why I'm pro-counseling. This is why I'm pro-therapy. This is why I'm pro-community group, pro-biblical counseling, so that you can work through what has gone on in your life. Why? So that we're not passing it on to the next generation. We're not passing it on to our kids. And that's what we see happen. Sarah lets bitterness, resentment just reside in her life. And now we see it in Isaac and through Hagar, we see it through Ishmael. At this time, we're learning that Ishmael is right around 16 years old. And we're learning that Isaac, again, has just moved from liquid to solid food. So he's arguably around two or three years old. So verse 10, here's what happens. So, been about 16 years. Sarah is fed up. She's done. Bitterness has risen to the top. And right in the middle of this party, Sarah gets up, goes over to Abraham and makes a pretty big scene. And she screams out, cast out this slave woman. Doesn't even use her name. Doesn't use how she was a servant. Doesn't use how maybe she was an employee at some point. She is derogatory. Cast out this slave woman and her son. Won't even like acknowledge that they're all in the same family. For the son of the slave woman, she does it again. Shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Woo, that's one way to ruin a weaning party. I've never been to one, a weaning party, but this is one way to ruin it for sure. But guys, all jokes aside, Sarah is purposely being degrading, derogatory, demeaning to Hagar and her son. Guys, Sarah is jealous. She's bitter. She's had enough. And by the way, this is what happens, church, when you let bitterness grow in your heart for years it ends up hurting you and harming others. 
where you end up turning moments like joyous moments like this into bitter tantrums. And that's where Sarah finds herself. So understandably, verse 11, Sarah comes to Abraham and he's pretty displeased with with what he's hearing. Verse 11 says this was displeasing to Abraham on account of his son, meaning Ishmael. So we're actually learning that Abraham does love Isaac, but he also does love Ishmael. This is concerning for him. This is displeasing that Sarah wants to cast away Hagar and Ishmael. This is concerning to him. But this is what's really hard, just to be honest with you, in this passage for me as a pastor, for me as a Christian, this is what's really hard for me, this next couple of verses. But then in a really odd turn of events, God steps in and speaks a really interesting word to Abraham in verse 12. But God said to Abraham, be not be, be not displeased because of the boy and because of the slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will also though make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. Now that sounds odd, right? You think that God would be like, no, 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 hold on. Don't cast out Hagar. Don't like abandon them out of your family. Like, don't, but that's on the surface, it seems that God is complicit, right? On the surface, at least, it seems that God's complicit with maybe some sinful act of casting away Hagar and Ishmael. But what's hard for us is this theological point that in this moment, we see that God is working through the sin of Sarah in such a way to permit freedom for Hagar that not only God is doing that, but God is creating the opportunity for repentance for Sarah and Abraham to not be in this three-way marriage that they never should have been in in the first place. Do you see what's happening? In this allowance, this God is permitting the Sarah of sin and working through it, not authoring it, not saying that this is good and right, but God is using the sin and working out two things, freedom from the slavery and oppression and abuse for Hagar, but also repentance from this marriage that should not have been in place with three people being married together. Guys, God can work through sin and evil in order to bring about a a greater good. That's what we see playing out here, that God is taking what Sarah meant for evil and he's turning it out for all three of their good. Now, let me expound on that a little bit more. So in this verse, God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to trust me. I'm gonna provide, I'm gonna protect, I'm gonna prosper Hagar and Ishmael. I'm gonna make them a great nation. I'm gonna take care of them, Abraham. You gotta trust me. I'm gonna work out some of the sin that you've blown up in your family. You've taken a slave girl, shouldn't have happened. You abused her, shouldn't have happened. Made her have a kid, shouldn't have happened. Got married, shouldn't have happened. I'm stepping in. And I'm gonna do it on the backs of someone else's sin. Guys, I want you just to hear for a moment that even when someone else sins against you, it's still in God's sovereign hand to bring you good somehow through it. That is not an easy theological principle to grasp, but I want you to see it even at the cross. God permitted Judas to betray Jesus so that you and I could be saved in our salvation. Do you see that? God even allowed Judas to betray Jesus that brought him to the cross for a greater good. That is a hard truth. I'm not saying abuse is good, divorce is good, 
Slavery is good. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying that God can use evil atrocities and he still reigns over them to bring good and glory because he's a good God, that even he has a leash on sin, guiding it to where he wants to. Does that, does that make sense? That is a hard theological truth to grab. And I don't want you to think that God is just permitting it, thinking it's okay, it's whatever. God is using it as a master, arranging sin to bring good. And that's what we see in this passage. So verse 14, so Abraham, trusting God, we assume, rose early in the morning. He took some bread, a skin of water, which during that day, right, they've created some sort of water container with animal skins and they're putting it in a container and filling it with water. He gives Hagar that, puts it on her shoulder. So what we're learning that it's not some small little canteen, it's some sort of larger apparatus of carrying water and food for them along with the child. And then he sent her away. And she departed and she wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And guys, just a little honest, this is a really sad moment. This is brokenness in a marriage. This is brokenness in a home. This is not pretty at all. And honestly, this is a little concerning because Abraham barely gives her anything. You know, like Abraham has a bunch of stuff. Guys, if you remember how much land he had, like he had to split it up because like his workers were getting in fights and he had all this land, all his possessions. So it's a little concerning. Not a big fan of this moment, Right? but possibly maybe somewhere in there, I don't know, but possibly maybe he believes that God is gonna provide and protect and prosper them. And so he maybe just gives her enough to get to where he believes God's sending her. I don't know. But here's what happens in verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, Hagar takes her child, again, not a fully grown adult, around 15, 16. And she takes her child and she puts Ishmael under some bushes which means that he's either fainted, he's sick, he's not doing well, and arguably he is on the cusp of death. The water's run out, the food has run out, they're in the wilderness wandering alone. Guys, Hagar has been through a terrible, terrible life. Grown up in Egypt, in slavery, brought into another home as a slave, been mistreated, abused, forced to have a child, then gets kicked out of that home, has nothing, her kid's about to die, she has an awful life. And verse 16 she puts her kid underneath this bush. She goes and sits opposite away from this kid, a good way off, because she can't handle another thing that goes wrong in her life. She stands a good way off in the distance of about of a bow shot. And she, she says, let me not look upon the death of my child. And so she sits opposite from him, the verse says, and she lifted up her voice and she wept. She thinks this is the end of her, the end of Ishmael, the end of it all. Verse 17, and here's the hero of the story. And God heard the voice of the boy, which by the way is what the name Ishmael means. It means God who hears. God is faithful to his promise that he hears our cries. Christian, every cry, every sorrow he hears, every prayer he hears, every sadness that you have, he hears it. This is what he's saying. And here's what happens. At the sound of this, the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Verse 18, up, lift up the boy, hold fast with your hand, and I will make him into a great nation. Guys, from Ishmael's lineage is many, many people, 
billions of people on the face of the earth comes from Ishmael's lineage. We even get a massive world religion of Islam through Ishmael's life. He's made into a great nation. Billions of people come from him. He gets established. Look at this. Verse 19, God opened up her eyes and God somehow provided this well of water, which if you know um, Muslim tradition, if you know that in Mecca, there's this well, whether it's this actual well or not, but it's said to be this well that was provided for Ishmael's life and health, that God provided this to show that he is the spring of living water, which Jesus shows up in John 4 and says that I am this well of living water. God provides this well She fills the skin of water, fills her boy, fills her life with hope. And God was with this boy, and this boy grew up, verse 20. He lived in the wilderness. He became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And that's arguably the last time that we sort of see Hagar and Ishmael. But what do we learn from this story? What do we learn from the painful life of Hagar? Through this woman in the Bible, we learn that God is faithful when the rest of the world abandons you, Christian. No matter how your life started, no matter where it's going, God is faithful and will not abandon you when the rest of the world has. Everyone has abandoned Hagar in her existence. Everyone, mom, dad, spouse, friends, cities, everyone. God is not Christian, I want you to know, if you feel not understood, not seen, no one gets you, no one could fathom that, God is the one that hears. He is the one that knows. He's the one that can meet you there. God will not abandon you when everyone can understand you, everyone else abandons you, he gets you. He's inviting you through this passage to come to him. Hagar's story reminds us that God hears us and then he also answers us. No matter what place of desperation or sin, you could find yourself. Through Hagar in the Bible, it's clear again that God's grace we find is sufficient. His grace is sufficient in every amount of hardship you face. Even in the presence of death, in the valley of the shadow of death that Hagar was experiencing, God's grace to her was sufficient to move her in that and through it. And Hagar's story also tells us that God has a plan and his timing is perfect, even when it feels like ours is not. We can trust him. God takes what others mean for evil and he turns it for our good. Last story. Number four, here's what we learn here. Last thing, God's blessings are meant to point you and others to God's goodness. God's blessings are meant to point you and others towards God's goodness. Verse 22, around that time, Abimelech, which by the way, that name means father of the king. So this name is actually probably a title, maybe not a first name, but a title. But at that time, Abimelech and Fickholm, the commander of his army, shows up to Abraham. This seems a little hostile of a moment for the king and the commander of the army to show up at Abraham's house. But arguably, it's more of a calm moment. And they say, God is with you and all that you do, Abraham. Which shows us that God has blessed Abraham in such a way that other people are seeing God's hand in his life. And Christian, what we begin to see is that God has blessed you to be a blessing to others. If God has provided something for you or done something to you, God is doing it also to show his hand in your life. That's what God's doing here. And that's what's happening. Other people in other lands are saying, we know that God is with you in all that you do. Verse 23, 
Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, because I have dealt with you so kindly, and so will you deal me with me in the land in which you have sojourned. And Abraham said, yeah, I swear, we're going to deal fine with each other. Because here's what's going on, verse 25. Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that, Ab- that Abimelech's servants had seized. It's Abraham's well, but other people took it. It's a moment of conflict. Abimelech said, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know about this thing. You didn't tell me. I haven't heard about today. He throws lots of excuses out. We're not sure exactly if Abimelech knew or not, but here's what Abraham does. Verse 27, so Abraham took some sheep, takes oxen, and he gives it to Abimelech. And the two made a covenant of peace and care. Verse 28, so Abraham set seven ewes of lamb of, uh, of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what's the meaning of these seven new lambs that you have set apart? And he said, these seven new lambs that you will take from my hand, this is a witness for me that I indeed did dig this well. From my abundance that God has given to me, I'm gonna give to you as a show of good faith of how much God has blessed me and that I'm telling the truth. Abraham in this moment is using his possessions in order to bless another, to give witness to how much provision and care that God has given in his life. Abraham is using his possessions to bless others, not use people to bless himself. So Abraham is making a covenant saying, hey, all of this stuff, I'm telling the truth. Let me bless you with this as a show of good faith. This is my well. Here's some stuff I'm gonna give you for free. Let's have peace because God's a maker of peace. I wanna reflect that. Let's not fight today. Don't bring your commander. Don't bring your army. This is my well, but let me bless you regardless. Guys, you have been blessed by God to be a blessing to others. If God has given you anything, possessions, health, a degree, he's given that to you to be a blessing to others. In fact, that's what he seen in the very beginning. God's with you in all that you do. Abimelech has seen God's actions in Abraham's life with this miracle of a boy. He's seen all the land, sees the possessions, the miracles. Abimelech has even seen the rescuing of Abraham, uh, uh, the rescuing of Lot through Abraham and the army. He's seen all of this. So church, let me ask you by way of application. Listen, how, how are you sharing your resources with others to be a blessing because of how God's blessed you? What are you doing with your money? What are you doing with your possessions? What are you doing with your time? One way we know of doing that is giving money through the church to go and bless others in our church and our community. But there are thousands of other ways. The question is not, are you giving money to the church? That's not the pitch. Is it, are you being faithful to God and being a blessing to others? That's what we're seeing in this passage. We are to be a blessing because of how God has blessed us. And then here's what I find that's interesting. Verse 31. Therefore, when they made peace with each other, that place was called Beersheba because both of them swore oath of peace. And so they made a covenant there. Then Abimelech and Phucol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Verse 33. Then Abraham planted a tree right there in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Why did he plant a tree? He got the well back. Why did he stop and plant a tree? In fact, if you go to that panel in our uh, meeting space, you'll see four rows up. You'll see this story. You'll see a well, a picture of a well, and a tree. What is the tree 
symbolizing? What's the point of that? The tree was to be a moment of remembrance for Abraham and all of these stories that God's been the hero. Abraham didn't sculpt a picture of himself through sand or through clay or through rock. He did a tree that would take a long time to grow, reminding him of others that sometimes it takes time for God's promises to be fulfilled, but they will. This tree is to be a remembrance to him in the community that God slowly over time will accomplish every promise he's ever said. And this tree is to be a remembrance not just for him, but his whole family, his whole lineage of everyone that would come by of how faithful God is, that he's not the hero of the miracle baby story. He's not the hero of Hagar and Ishmael. He's not the hero of Abimelech not wiping them out because of this conflict over the well. God's the story in this one tree points us to another tree, a tree in the New Testament. We see that Jesus would die on a cross, which was made out of what? It was made out of wood. This tree of peace and covenant points us to another tree of peace and covenant where Jesus would die on a cross to forgive you of our sin so that we would not have God's punishment on us, that we could be set free and loved in God for all of eternity if we would choose to believe and trust in Jesus. This tree is pointing us to the gospel. It's planted in the ground as the cross was planted to give us peace in a covenant. Do you see how Jesus is the hero of every story and every scripture, the scarlet thread of the gospel and every narrative? Church, where do you need Jesus to show up in your story? Where have you been relying on yourself to be the hero, to be the savior, to put your little plans and strategies to make your life better? And when will you and I plant the tree and say, God, I'm gonna trust your promises. They're gonna grow slowly. But over time, I'm gonna watch you be faithful. Church, will you today, today by faith, would you say, God, I'm gonna trust you to be the hero of my story like you are in every story. And I'm gonna walk with you by faith and not by sight. Church, if you would, let's take a moment and pray together.